There we are. I think we're live. So so we're going for it. Uh, okay, this is it. This is it. It's really happening. <laughs> Spencer, welcome to Table Chat. And and me, Ben, welcome to Table Chat. Uh, and Matt is going to Matt's going to join us here uh, in a few moments, but he'll be a little bit late, so uh, he can jump in. We can try to get him caught up. Um, all right. So framing this up for everybody. Obviously, we are still in our series um, where we are preaching through on Sundays. We're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now, and our series is called Living the Politics of Jesus in a Partisan America, and we've been learning a lot uh, together. Mm. It's been a lot of fun. Um, last week, uh, last, this last Sunday, Spencer, you preached on Matthew 6, and we, we kind of extracted the Lord's Prayer from this uh, section, and uh, Deb's going to preach on that next week. But uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 6, and then 16 through 18, where Jesus uh, kind of gives um, instructions, so to speak, on uh, how to practice your fasting and your giving and your praying. Um, so maybe, I, I, forgot we, I forgot we did this last week, but maybe let's read it before we dive in, and then uh, yeah. maybe I'll have you share your Good News Proclamation, um, and then I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, yeah, what you learned from this. Um, you also sent a letter to our church um, that kind of outlined some of what you had discovered here that was uh, interesting to you, and maybe we can start there in our discussion of this passage. Does that sound okay to you? Perfect. Yeah, that's uh, great. All right, so this is Matthew 6, uh, 1 through 6, and then, or 1 through 8, and then 16 through 18. Um, so, well, actually, maybe 14 through 18. Anyway, I can't remember exactly what we read, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, everything here except for the Sermon on the Mount uh, part of this the Lord's passage. Prayer. The Lord's, sorry, <laughs> yes, the Lord's <laughs> Prayer, except for the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so this is Matthew 6. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, When you are practicing your piety... Mind you don't do it with an eye on the audience. Otherwise, you won't have any reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give your money to the poor, don't sound a trumpet in front of you. That's what people do when they're just play-acting in the synagogues and the streets. They do it so that people will be impressed by them. I'm telling you the truth. They've received their reward in full. No, when you give money, don't let your left hand have any idea what your right hand is up to. That way your giving will be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you mustn't be like the play actors. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that people will notice them. I'm telling you the truth, they have received their reward in full. No. When you pray, go into your own room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is there in secret. And your father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, don't pile up jumbled, heap of, jumbled heaps of words. That's what the Gentiles do. They reckon that the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. So don't be like them. You see, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Yes, if you forgive people the wrong they have done, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly father forgive you for what you have done wrong. When you fast, don't be gloomy like the play actors. They make their faces quite unrecognizable so that everyone can see they're fasting. 
I'm telling you the truth, they have received their reward in full. No, when you fast, tidy your hair and beard the way you normally do and wash your face so that others won't notice your fasting except your father privately. And then your father who sees in private will repay you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Got to hear it again. I'm going to add, add, add Matt to the stream here. Welcome, Matt. Hey, guys. Welcome to Table Chat. Is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. Oh. We just read the passage. Um, I, heard, I heard it. Yeah, good. Uh, so, Spencer, um, yeah, why don't you give us a little recap? Like, give us a recap of the good news and uh, a bit of where your message went. We can start there. Yeah, for sure. So my good news proclamation for this past Sunday was you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Your father already knows you, brokenness and all, and he refuses to stop loving you. Instead of power piety and religious rackets, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed. And uh, I think just in, in preparation leading up to Sunday and then preaching it on Sunday, I really feel like I have seen this passage in a new light this time around. I mean, it's amazing, actually, to reflect on our Sermon on the Mount series a few years ago at the table um, because it was really good. But I think it had a really different shape to it, uh, which mm -hmm. I think is is cool to see how that can change depending on the season that we're in and, you know, what's going on, what we're learning. Um, I think that one thing that I was in touch with this time around more so than I have been previously is that not only is Jesus teaching us how to live, uh, but he's also unmasking the power piety and the posturing of his day uh, and revealing it to be what it was, which was, you know, just exploiting people, taking, you know, people that were on top, uh, continuing to push people further down below them. Uh, and so part of what I taught on on Sunday was just about how, fasting and almsgiving and praying, they were all associated with people that were well-educated, well-fed, wealthy people, uh, and further marginalized people that weren't in positions of power mm -hmm. in that community, in that culture. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that we often take for granted, but it's, it's interesting that, you know, Jesus would tell us to fast in secret and give us these instructions about fasting. And it's going to be just a few verses away from him teaching us to pray and ask God for our daily bread. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the people that are forced to pray to God for their daily bread are really in no position to be planning a fast. You can't plan on fasting for a week if you're not sure where your next meal is coming from. And so I think, you know, just confronting my own position of privilege in this culture uh, and experience of privilege in this culture, as I was reflecting on this text has, you know, forced me to be confronted in a different way by what Jesus is teaching here. You know, not, yeah. it's obviously not a new type of um, legalism that he's instructing us to, right? Like this isn't just a new rule about being secret when we do good things. Um, mm -hmm. But he's right. trying to teach us how to really live. And he's exposing that a lot of this show that people do is it's not doing the work that we think it's going to do. It's not doing it for us, but it's also, further marginalizing already marginalized people. Yeah. Um, and I really found that fascinating, not only in the text, but really to reflect on how that happens today. Um, hmm. We're trying to keep our sermons to about 10, 10-ish <laughs> minutes on Sundays. I went 15, um, but feels like needed another 15 to really get into some of this stuff. And so thankful yeah. that we get to discuss a little bit more here. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, obviously part of um, 
part of the purpose of these um, is to is to continue to expand some of those thoughts because there mm -hmm. is a tremendous amount to teach on here um, and a tremendous amount to open up uh, ourselves to. Um, I was re I was reflecting on I don't know if you have thoughts about this Spencer or Matt, um, but I was reflecting on the the multiple kind of horizons that Jesus seems to be speaking to here. Like a lot of what you've mentioned, Spencer, is like the cultural situation, how fasting and giving and prayer were were utilized by the powerful and the wealthy um, to not, as Jesus says, like not to engage with their father in heaven, right? That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to uh, sort of further ensconce their own position of, of privilege and power, right? It was to, it was to show everybody that I'm giving, show everybody that I'm fasting, show everybody that I'm doing these things for the purpose of saying, we're the ones who are, you know, engaging with God. And so they use their sort of access to God through these, through these um, actions, mm. through this piety. They're using that as a way of saying, so therefore, you know, we should stay in power, shouldn't we? Um, and then further, right, they're, they're blocking access to these things for the people who don't have access to the temple or food or, you know, um, enough money to, to put into the treasury to kind of make a, a splash in the, um, in the giving. Um, so, uh, so that cultural situation is interesting to me, but also I find it interesting that Jesus is speaking here not to mainly those people. He's talking to people who are not those people, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying, like, yeah. don't be like them, the play actors, the people who do this stuff. Mm -hmm. He's speaking to the people who feel excluded and left out, and he's proclaiming the good news. So it, like the purpose of the sermon isn't to just like denounce those people who are doing that bad thing. It's to declare this good news to these people who feel left out. And basically this is like a continuation of the Beatitudes then, right? Saying mm -hmm. like, you guys are the ones who are blessed. You don't realize it, but you have, you have full access. Go ahead and pray. Like you, like, and don't, don't pray like that. Like they're, they're using prayer as this, they're, they're pretending to pray. They're not even praying. They, they've already received their reward. The reward is they get to stay in power and everybody thinks they're awesome. Um, but you, when you pray, you actually have access to the real thing. So mm. pray, you know, like you, you don't need to pray in front of everybody. You don't need to have a whole bunch of words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very similar to the Beatitudes, but I think that the more in touch with this, I get the more, I think that just the whole, the overarching theme of Jesus's full ministry. I mean, even starting in the, you know, with the Magnificat, which is a passage of scripture that got little to no attention in the church tradition that I, I grew up in mm -hmm. is, is kind of saying, you know, blessed are the people that aren't in power, the people on the bottom, the people that mm -hmm. are last in line. And whether it's explicit in different parts of the gospels or, or implicit, there is a lot of woe to use. Um, yeah. And I actually think that this is what's maybe most difficult about preaching this text to our community is uh, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of people that would be considered last in line or in the mm -hmm. bottom. Um, and I would even say that most of us aren't in touch with or are, are trying to resist um, taking advantage of the power structures at play currently, you know? And I think, depending on where our awareness level is at. I mean, there's a lot of us have benefited from those things. Um, yeah. But I don't see a lot of people that are intentionally trying to, you know, shine a light on how great they are while keeping mm -hmm. other people behind them in line. So there's this weird thing where Jesus isn't exactly talking 
to us, right? But there's good right. news in here for us too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's a it's an interesting tension that we're invited into right now. I hear you also saying, yeah. Spencer, that he's not actually talking about us either. So it's it's not like we hold the keys to the kingdom and we're keeping everybody out in a one to one comparison. But it's also not that we're the ones being kept out of the kingdom, and he wants mm-hmm. to give us free and set us. So it so there. I was having lunch with somebody from our church today. And they said, how do I do any of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like, how, how what, what does it mean to actually live this stuff today? Because all these messages are good, but we don't necessarily map on either of the groups of people Jesus is talking about or talking to. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think there's this, like, um, when you, res- like, when you are thinking about it and you place yourself as not being one of those, in those two categories, it's easy just to kind of, be passive and be like, well, I guess I'm on the sidelines here. (laughs) Uh, You know, like the best imagination for leveraging my privileges to make a Facebook post saying black lives matter, or just keep saying like, you know, to be a disciple and to be wealthy is a problem. Um, But Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not Jeff Bezos. So I don't really know what that means. Uh, You know what I mean? So there's like this, uh, I don't think it's an internal resistance within me or within most of the people in our community. I think it's like just a lack of imagination for what it would mean to participate mm-hmm. on behalf of the disadvantaged and to proclaim to people that are advantaged, mm-hmm. like in a, in a call in way, you know, to go and proclaim the good news that is, that starts out with a woe to you, mm-hmm. uh, but isn't inherently antagonistic, which is what most of our cultural dialogue is with people that we disagree with or that we kind of categorize mm-hmm. as, taking advantage of the disadvantaged. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. I, I found that that similar. And so you guys have helped that, that fleshes that out. I think those two horizons that we are naming in the Sermon on the Mount, um, I don't feel like the people that we're actually, you know, preaching the, the people that we are as a church don't fit neatly into those categories. We're not, no. we're not actively oppressing and keeping people out of the kingdom, but neither are we, you know, uh, actively oppressed, uh, hmm. in, in any significant way. And so, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know. Yeah. Um, I think, Oh, go ahead, Matt. No, no Spencer, you talk. I was, I was just going to say, I mean, I think the story that I tell myself when I, I want to remind myself that there is a good work going on in the midst of my, uh, not feeling certain of like what the concrete action is that we can take is that, you know, there's a lot of space for us it, as individuals, as members of the congregation to have Kairos about this. Um, like for me, I'm uncomfortable with some of the language in the Sermon on the Mount about people that are wealthy. And I, I'm not a, I don't think by most categories, like most people would categorize me as being rich or wealthy, but I'm uncomfortable when I'm hearing Jesus talk about money. Mm. in my position with money currently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's probably true of a lot of people in our congregation, but the way that we're inhabiting the text or proclaiming the good news of the text isn't to say, uh, like to have somebody in our mind that we're trying to make feel guilty about where they're at. You know, (laughs) we're just trying to be led by the spirit and proclaim the good news of the text and be honest about where we're feeling really Mm -hmm. punched by it. And if people are, I mean, if somebody were to really feel offended by what I preached on Sunday, yeah. I would feel 
um, it, it, to me, that wouldn't be a negative. It would just be like, wow, something's happening here, you know, like let's mm. process this. Uh, however, so that's like on the positive side that I think that there's still work happening, even though mm. we're not sure about the concrete action. However, I, I, I do, I pray that we can continue to move into like to have a better imagination for how to respond to this good news as a congregation in the midst of the time that we're living, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I Here's what I'm aware of, Spencer, to answer that question. Like this is what I've been thinking about. Um and the reason that we wanted to do this and I wanted to do this sermon series is cuz I think that for most of us the frames for what we can imagine of how to be socially publicly engaged in the world, those frames are uh, mostly designed by and also um, constrained by the ideologies of right and left in America. Hmm. So what is money for? Well, the answers are going to be typically typified by right and left. And, you know, maybe some libertarians or whomever else you want to throw in there. And, uh, you know, and what does justice look like? Um, What's the role of what's the role of a king or government? And, you know, all these questions get answered by these ideologies. And it seems like, at the very least, uh, you know, donkeys and elephants didn't exist in Jesus's day. And so the secular sort of answers, there really weren't secular answers, but the answers to those questions uh, were different frames. So how does Jesus Mm -hmm. interact with those frames? And what is he doing in instituting or inaugurating his kingdom? And how do his answers line up or not with those like impulses, right? So so the things that both right and left take for granted, like private property. Does Jesus see property as private? In his kingdom, is, is, is property private? Hmm. I think I I think I have an answer to that. I mean I, I would I would say no. That doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. not personal. But it's but it but in terms of so anyway I think this is uh, not to not for a cop out I think there's an entire new like vocabulary mm-hmm. and frame that we have to sort of build to begin yeah. to reimagine what what does it look like for us to engage in this yeah. rather than a one to one just sliding directly from the text to our lives mm-hmm. is that a cop out. <clears throat> I, I don't think so. And I, I think that I, I see that as like, um, I don't think it's a cop out. I think, I think it's within the framework of what preaching is and what it's for. Um, that, you know, that it's not necessarily just to sort of give you a new thing, like here's four application points or here's exactly what you know how to do now, you know, which I, I don't see Jesus doing this a whole lot. He doesn't give, you know, he tells a parable and then like people are like, well, that kind of, that kind of offended the Pharisees. Did you know that? And Jesus was like, yeah, I figured it probably would. But that's like enough work. He's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm throwing some hand grenades out there that are going to blow up in people's minds, you know, maybe a little bit later, but it's going to bring about, you know, so maybe, I guess, I don't think it's a cop out. I think maybe our sermon series is doing the work it needs to do if we're, if we're uncomfortable and we're starting to ask different questions and we're not really sure what to do. Like, maybe that's okay for now, you know, just mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a tension that, and the call is just to say, like, stick with it. 
follow yeah. the thread, keep pulling on the thread, you know, and stick with the, stick with the tension and then trust that there'll be, there'll be opportunities, you know, um, to, to practice faithfulness as, yeah. as they come available, you know, and I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, some of the, um, some of the refugees that are, are part of our community now. Yeah. Like that wasn't a good idea. That wasn't a, like a, a response to an application point of a sermon. Like that was an opportunity that came along that because we had been cultivating an imagination looked to us like mission. It looked to us like, oh, God might be at work here. Maybe we should look into this. Maybe we should, this seems good to us and the Holy Spirit to send this email, to have this phone call, to invest in, investigate and and to talk and to discern. Um, and so m- maybe that's, a big part of what we're doing here is just opening, continuing to open up our imagination to the kingdom of God. And then just trusting that more of those things will come along for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this stuff takes a lot of time to flesh out. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I I suggested that we do um, a course that went along with this sermon. Oh, that was Matt, actually. That's Hey. It's not an I told you so, right? It's nope, not an I told not, you so. Not an I told yeah. you. It's just a nice little ironic zing. Somebody told us this, yeah. and I just happen to remember that it was told. I'm just not sure who told yeah, us. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but the person who told us definitely said it was not an I told you so, even though they were telling us so. So I don't know. I don't know who that was. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> I've offended him. I guess so. That is so funny. Here he's got, he's back. Oh, oh. Ben Ben Sturkey, Sturkey. you got to adjust your mic, mic, buddy. Did that work? No, Ben. That help? There you go. No more echo, and we can hear your voice. I turn off the echo cancellation and turn it back on and then turn it off. I was just saying that you were muffled. I have no idea if people, I don't know if the streamers could hear me or not. So anyway, oh. you were muffled. You got, you got it. You left the call and you came back in. Were you, were you uh, pretending I, to be I didn't actually, it wasn't a passive aggressive leave. I actually clicked, <laughs> I actually clicked the login on my stream yard, but I was oh. trying to click private chat and comments, but I accidentally clicked login and uh, it, it sent me to a login page right out of this call. Oh, so. great. My bad. My bad. It was Uh, kind of funny, though, that you left right after we were kind of making fun of you. So, yeah, (laughs) that was appropriate. Yeah, no, I I think these are great questions. And I I do think it takes major discernment in in like a communal reimagining of how do we. Because we're so like when we preached through this the first time, we had one layer, I think, that was really good, but it's so easy to make this about personal virtue mm. this entire sermon yeah right but like i was just thinking about for instance um jesus talking about prayer and he says when you pray pray in secret right so your heavenly father sees you but jesus doesn't pray in secret he prays publicly in fact mm-hmm. he prays so publicly that his disciples are like hey teach us how to pray like you do in front of us mm-hmm. right and so there's a sense in which, like, this can't just be about do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. He has to be responding to, to actual particular situations of his day for particular reasons. Yeah. And it's more than just 
don't get it wrong like they get it wrong. Mm -hmm. But they're getting it wrong is wrong because of the work that they're doing. Right. It's not that, hey, they, they got the rules wrong. Here, I'm giving no. you, I'm going to give you the right rules. It's, he's saying like, look, the, the reason that there are commands, the reason that there is the law is that it's meant to, you know, he's casting this vision for a community that knows how to flourish, a community that knows yes. how to love one another, a community that knows yes. how to live. I mean, that's, that's why I think the, it's, it's powerful to put the word politics in here, even though that, you know, I, I mean, that's, we have to define that all the time because a lot of times mm. people think of politics purely as partisanship. Um, they're like, oh, don't make this political, which what they mean by that is like, don't make this about us versus them. Don't make this about, you know, which team partisan. you're on, which is partisanship, right? It's yeah. not, it's not political, yeah. but to be political is to ask questions about how we live together. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's a really important thing. And, and Spencer, you mentioned that right at the beginning, just to say like, these aren't new rules. Like don't don't think of these as like oh how do I do the uh, pray in secret rule man does that mean I stop going to church because we pray in church you know we do that right. all together and right uh, which I mean it's silly when you think about it but mm. yeah that's part of what about... I... go ahead I was just gonna say that's part of what was so helpful to me about going through the Hauerwas commentary on Matthew and mm. going through the Sermon on the Mount is he he unpacks a lot of that stuff I mean just really brilliantly and you know he speaks or writes very plainly as well. So it's just like, you know, kind of smacks you in the face, some of it, but yeah. uh, following Jesus is about following Jesus, not virtue gathering. Um, and the way that he kind of distinguishes that was really helpful for me. But I think it's also like, I mean, growing up, I said a lot of the same things, right? Like Jesus is Lord. I'm a follower of Christ, but like none of it had a real practical on the ground meaning. I think it just meant like, uh, I don't dip or chew or go with girls that do or whatever the phrase is, you know, like it's just, mm -hmm. right. uh, but, but, uh, I think that, you know, we, that is what we're called to do, Matt. Like you're talking about Jesus telling us to pray in secret, but then in certain moments, really confronting things in front of people or praying loudly because he's responding in the moment and being led by the spirit. Uh, and I think that's what we're striving for. But that that requires a, a certain amount of vulnerability within the body of Christ as well, because even as leaders here on this call and clergy within our, you know, our church, we don't always know what to do. You know, mm -hmm. I can't just assume mm -hmm. that whatever my impulse is, is the Holy Spirit leading me in every moment. Right. Uh, right. So if I tell somebody yeah. to, you know, if I yell at somebody and call them a brood of vipers, I'm just like, well, I think, you know, the Holy Spirit came over me. Um, so it has to be worked out in community. You just but got I do Matthew think... 23, suck yeah, us. Right. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about this today. I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember. Oh, it was talking about how um, climate issues uh, have been politicized, um, which, you know, we and we've kind of, talked about this before, the pandemic. So all these like public health things that clearly affect everybody, right? Climate, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> pandemics, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, even those things have been politicized by which people mean they've been turned into empty signifiers that indicate which team you're on, right? Mm -hmm. So conservatives can't afford to care about the environment. Why? Because it would indicate that they're on the other team. And then they wouldn't get voted back into office, even if they do care about the environment, right? Um, I mean, to to talk about you know maybe an issue on the left, like to to be on the left and to indicate that you are concerned about the unborn, mm -hmm. 
and that abortion is a really big deal that we should talk about. You can't do that from that perspective because it's an empty signifier that means I'm on the other team. But when you dive into these issues, like they're, they're clearly things that we could talk about here, but they've been so like, they've been so uh, entrenched into these camps and they've become, and I keep using that word empty signifier, which is a, uh, I think it's Zizek, right? Zizekian term. Slavo Zizek. Slavo Zizek, um, who is a Slovenian uh, philosopher uh, who I barely understand. But one of the things I do understand <laughs> about him is that he uses this term to mean like this is a symbol that's been like evacuated of any meaning. So to be pro-life, for example, like it almost doesn't mean anything. It's just a stamp that means that indicates I'm on this team or I'm on that team. So anyway, uh, all this to say, um, I think that uh, what you're saying about what it used to mean to follow Jesus or say Jesus is Lord is similar, right? Spencer, where it's like, I don't know what it actually means to say Jesus is Lord. I just know that saying Jesus is Lord means that I'm on the, the right team. I think I'm on the right team because mm-hmm. I, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't yeah. go with girls that do. And I say these yeah. things and that kind of thing. But I think what we're trying to do here in grappling with the Sermon on the Mount is, is take us out of all these realms where we, where we navigate our life in terms of which, which identities am I sort of stamping onto myself to indicate which team I'm on. And how do we actually instead just follow Jesus, mm. right? How do we let that be our identity? And we can maybe shed some of these other uh, empty signifiers that, um, that, we, that we tend to attach ourselves to. And I got some theories about uh, why, why we do that as well. But anyway. Hey, can I, can I offer a counterproposal? Can I spice this table chat up a bit? Sure. Let's mix it up. All right. I think, I think we do tell ourselves stories that aren't true about things like, you know, I'm pro-life because I voted this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure we need to let our identities go and just follow Jesus. I think we actually need to own our various identities, even the ones that are contradictory and in tension with other people's. We need to own them. And only in owning them can we follow Jesus. So I, I have a friend who, in responding to um, all the, uh, you guys familiar with intersectionality? This is a, mm-hmm. a, a discipline of sociology where uh, particularly black women uh, and particularly gay black women talk about all the different identities that they carry around and how those sure. identities change, how they're treated, what they see. And mm-hmm. there's an intersection between their gender uh, their sexual orientation or identity, their um, their uh, their race, and how all these things impact what they see, how people treat them, how they interpret reality, etc. And my friend, who's a white dude, he said um, the 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 way through this for white people um, isn't to like disown and hate uh, their race and just shut up. But it's to actually own that they have a perspective as well and to name what it is and to own it as the perspective. He said that's the only way that like whiteness gets decentered yeah. and we can actually evaluate it on some other rubric other than the hegemony of whiteness. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just a counter counterpoint 
Um, I'm totally, I totally am buying that. Um, no, fight sure. me, fight me now. <laughs> no, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. We, we just agree. Um, I think, uh, so maybe, maybe identity was the wrong word to use in terms, in terms of what I was trying to, uh, convey, because I agree with you. I think that owning our whiteness and, and that perspective that comes from it is actually really important. Um, but I, I think I'm, I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about like some of the stamps that we intentionally put on ourselves ideologically, okay. Okay. right? So not, not my white, I can't shed my whiteness or my perspective as a white man, but, um, but I can investigate, um, for example, why it infuriates me that a black man would, would kneel, you know, at the national anthem in a football game, right? Mm. For example, it doesn't infuriate me personally, but, but you know what I mean? Like I can investigate that and say, oh, maybe this is because I've taken on some sort of empty signifier about, mm. about America or about black people. You know what I mean? Like I've taken on something that uh, doesn't relate to the truth of how people are or the truth of how things are. Um, I don't know. It's clearly an unformed thought. But, uh... Yeah, I think some, I think you're on to something, though. I mean, okay. it's like something to do with the projected identity that we have, right, which is a false yeah. identity that we have that we're yeah. even, even in the text, too. you know, is like, uh, uh, I know I'm good because I'm, I'm given a lot of money or like when right. I fast, people know I'm fasting and I pray really well. Like those are all like a false identity that people are trying to yeah. identify yes. with, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that that happens. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think it's always happened. I, I, I'm tempted to say it happens more more today than it ever has. But I think, you know, just in the text that we taught out of this Sunday, it's just showing yeah. us that people have always yeah. done that. Yes. I think that that's, that's what I'm trying to say, Spencer, is they, they, they took these vehicles that were meant to be vehicles for communion with God and others, right? Yes. To give of my resource to another who's in need, yes. to... Uh, spend time intentionally uh, speaking with and hearing from God in prayer uh, to spend time, you know, fasting, which, you know, is a discipline that puts me in, you know, into dependence and um, more heightened awareness perhaps of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Like they've turned these things that were meant to be vehicles for communion into empty signifiers that indicate I'm on the right team. I'm in the right. I know what's going on. Um, by empty by empty signifier, let me just let me just make it really explicit, Ben. What you mean is I'm giving all this money, I must be generous. But you're giving money in a way that actually is the opposite of generous yeah. because you're demonstrating your piety in a way that separates you from other people. That yes. creates privilege and favor for you and actually mm -hmm. cuts people off from what they need. Yes. Mm. So yeah. you're telling yeah. yourself a story about you're giving money. And but, but what actually is happening when you give money is the opposite of the story you're telling yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's it's I wear the pro-life stamp. But like when I hear about kids in cages at the border, I don't it, like it doesn't even prick my conscience. Right. So that that would be an evidence of that of that empty signifier. Um, at work, right. Right. Perhaps. So so then this happens all the time. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and Jesus actually uses the word hypocrisy to describe it. But then there's this power dynamic that you meant, that you kind of reference Spencer in your power piety and religious mm -hmm. racket language, that it's not just, it's not just a hypocrisy, but there's a status or a power or an oppression at work as well. Mm -hmm. yes. 
Would you say more about that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, in the passage, I think that it it's very easy to pull out how people are being excluded by that. Um, and I think that I have trouble seeing it on the ground. A lot of times I think it's, it, it feels more nuanced and complicated in our context, maybe, or maybe not even just in our context, but like when I say context, I don't mean like in our country right now. I mean like in our congregation, okay. where where are these things that we're we're able to speak to and and navigate? Um, can I can I share one thing about where I feel like maybe mm-hmm. I have uh, empty signifier stuff going on in my life, or where I have questions about if I'm actually doing anything? Um, I, I care deeply about like racial injustice. Um, but right now my primary arena or mode of doing things about it is, is social media. Mm-hmm. So um, taking, uh, taking whatever platform I have as a white clergy person and, and using that platform to speak really categorically straight up about racism, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'd like to think I have a healthy dose of, are you really doing anything? Aren't you, aren't you basically just taking a bunch of your demo CDs and throwing them around an abandoned uh, strip mall? You know, like, are, are you really handing music out to the masses or are you just, um, but I don't think I'm, I, I think, I don't think I'm doing everything, but I also don't think I'm doing nothing, but there's a potential for me. I think to believe that I'm actually doing something more than I'm doing and then exonerate myself from the hard work that I would need to actually do to advocate Mm -hmm. for racial justice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I mentioned that earlier in the call. It's like, I I think uh, there's some sense in which right now the power piety could be potentially depending on where you're trying to identify uh, like just posting a black lives matter thing on social media is like, well, see now I'm, I'm squared away, you know, Mm -hmm. but in reality it has nothing to do with how to leverage your own privilege or to actually do anything in real life. Um, and I think it's, it can just be difficult, you know, like, uh, especially in our context, I don't feel like it's right in our face a lot of times what to do other than that. And I think that's, that's one of my tensions that I have with social media is, uh, I feel sometimes I just feel like it's a totally different world. So if I get on Twitter for 20 minutes, I'm going to feel different than I did before I was on there. And I'm not sure how much of that is my real life, you know, and I'm not sure how to calibrate it. Yep. But I I do want to go back a little bit like the, this, I think this discussion about identity and empty signifiers, like I think this is how touches on this in in that commentary Mm -hmm. as well. And if I could do like the Fitch, Power Wass impersonation, I would, but I think it would be oh. mildly offensive if I did it. Uh, whereas when he does it, it seems really, you know, like a like an homage. Um, when he when he tries to talk like Power Wass, yeah, when he squeezes his nose and he doesn't, <laughs> I just feel like it's outside of my wheelhouse. Um, but fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, Power Wass, he says that this is this this identity that we're talking about, like how we try to define our identity as righteous by broadcasting or bringing light to our good works, quote unquote, Uh, like Mm. what we're supposed to be like, not letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing is just following Jesus because then our righteousness 
is just it's hidden in Christ. And so when somebody if somebody were to ask you, like, what's so good about you? You're just kind of like, I don't know. And you just point to Jesus. You're like, I'm just following this guy. Like, I, I don't I can't tell you what's so great about me. It's not because I like uh, wear this Black Lives Matter T-shirt or because I like have all this education. and I can explain in three succinct points why you should vote this way. But like, I'm just trying to live out the politics of Jesus today. Um, obviously, <laughs> the church does this at varying degrees. And so it becomes a lot more complicated than if Jesus was right here. And we could just be like, hey, we're just following this guy wherever he goes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you guys a question about an analogy here? Like maybe where, like you, we mentioned almsgiving, prayer and fasting this week, because that's what Jesus mentions. Mm-hmm. And how those were like the disciplines that codified and legitimated the power that the religious aristocracy had uh, at the expense of the people who didn't have the access to the resources or the food or the money or the praying center of Israel that the religious elite did. I wonder, I was just talking to a young man today who was talking about, he's beginning to have conversations with his wife about the, the bad work that, um, the focusing on sexual purity has done for his marriage. Mm. So I I know a lot of, not everybody in our church grew up evangelical, but a lot did. And um, one of the paragon, one of the, one of the sort of the pinnacles of morality in the evangelical church in the eighties, nineties, and 20, you know, even today was uh, sexual purity. And um, if you were sexually pure, like that was it. Like that was the top of the, that was the top of the morality mountain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he was just describing um, some of the really, really bad work that that did for he and his wife, even as they're married today and how just them naming it and saying, yeah, that sucks. has really been freeing for them. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if we were to have a triumvirate of the ways that like morality is sort of graded and used you know, would sexual would sexual purity be one of them? What's triumvirate mean again? Uh, that's that's the tri the three the three things. Try means so three, and like, umvirate means yeah. things. So what's our? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Latin. So it is. so what's our prayer and almsgiving and fasting? You know, like yeah. what, what is that in our day? What is gotcha. the gotcha. what's the power piety of our day? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't I think, think of it, it without yeah. thinking that there's one. I feel like there's a different triumvirate on both sides. There's a blue and a red one. But uh, at least that. It feels yeah, to me right. like there's an evangelical one. There's a. There's probably a mainline one. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but you know, just to maybe keep it within that evangelical world, since, like you said, Matt, a lot of us came out of that world, uh, uh, dominantly. That's an interesting thought exercise. I do think. I do think sexual purity would be one of them. That was that was a that was a big deal, right? Um, that that indicated that you were really following Jesus. Yeah, um, and I I wonder too if like um, pro life and pro marriage yeah. are the other two. So uh, the thing about the thing about Jesus's day is that you couldn't separate politics from religion. Mm-hmm. Like like even even from a governing Israel with right. the spiritual practice that you couldn't separate right. them. And the thing I'm learning about America is you can't really separate like conservative religion mm-hmm. from conservative politics in America. 
like they've been intentionally stitched together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In our history. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, uh, did you know, like before Roe versus Wade and even after Roe versus Wade, evangelicals were not of one mind no. about abortion. They, mm-hmm. they were all. Yeah. I heard the, uh, you broke up, Matt. I don't know if you're still with us. Yeah, I heard the Southern Baptist Convention. About how complicated oh. it was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I said, um, sorry, I'm back. My internet jacked up. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Yes. Question you mark? look blurry, but I can hear you. I think it's, let's try it. Give it a show. Give it a go. Okay. Well, I just want to say, uh, Christianity Today wrote an article uh, right around Roe versus Wade that described how complicated yeah. abortion was and how Christians disagreed about it. And there was no consensus. Yeah. And, and the people that brought a consensus about abortion, like it wasn't the theological minds of America that did it. No. It was the, it was the political players that wanted to create an issue to rally a voting base around. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, th- so in my mind, like then pro-life has become the thing it's a litmus test do you pray on the street corner do people know how holy you are because of how much money you give do you vote pro-life it's become the litmus test that tells you whether or not you're a legitimate committed christian or you're Mm -hmm. one of those other people that uh isn't isn't serious about your faith right right yeah I, I think so. I think that's become one of the issues where you, you dig into it and you discover those crazy that th- things that sound crazy now. I just listened to a podcast where they were talking about some of that. And like the Southern Baptist Convention declined to give a recommendation on like the morality of abortion right around the time. The Southern Baptist wow. Convention wow. like didn't even want to say enter into that and say that abortion is wrong in every case. Whereas, you know, you can't imagine that now. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that I think that's one of them where it's it's like a it shuts down the conversation where it mm-hmm. it become and again, like we've been saying, it becomes one of these empty signifiers that because I'm pro-life, it sort of exonerates me, but actually you look underneath the surface and what does that allow? Well, it allows tons of stuff that isn't very pro-life <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's Yeah, I mean, I know so many people I don't know any other people that are one single issue voters about a different issue. And I know a ton of people that, that are single issue voters about this. Um, and they'll just tell you, they're like, I don't even think about, I don't listen. I don't watch debates. I don't read anything about it. This is the only thing I vote for. Um, so I definitely think that's, that would be one. I think the, the sexual purity thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think, nationalism has to be in there, although there may be a better Mm. way of stating it, but there's a there at least the tribe that I grew up in was like, you didn't vote. (laughs) It's like, well, what are you doing? Like, are you ashamed of being an American? Like you shouldn't be here. What's going on? Yeah. Why do you hate Jesus? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Well, it's probably enough. It probably is enough. That's probably all the people can handle. It's (laughs) It's all I can handle. For one day, I gotta stop talking. I gotta start. Gotta, gotta figure out how to live right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is this is great. This is really helpful for hmm. me, at least. Hopefully, it's helpful for others. Yeah, it's fun. Right. It'd be interesting to rewrite uh, the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving 
because yeah. Jesus isn't saying prayer, fasting, almsgiving are wrong. Right. He He's does all when of you them. do it, when you do it, when do it like do this, it. not like this. When you're pro-life, do it like this, yeah. not like this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Right? When you, when, when you practice when you your seek, sexual purity. When you want to be sexually pure, do it like this, not like this. Yeah, mm. that'd be fun exercise. Yes. All right. As long as Jesus still lets me have my purity ring. I don't know. Is that are you doing your sexual purity in secret, or are you are you doing it to be praised by people? <laughs> my sexual purity ring is my marriage ring. Marriage hey! ring. There we go. Hey, marriage you. All right. <clears throat> All right. All right, guys. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. All right, friends. Uh, good to have you at table chat. I forgot to play the theme music earlier. Oh man. Uh, and oh, man. play us out. Let, let me uh Should you outro it yep i just gotta figure out where this is on my uh on my i'm gonna ask here. on uh i'm gonna ask on facebook the the den of What's that? i'm gonna ask on facebook right now what is the triumvirate of yeah, see if, uh, today? see if folks have some uh some ideas on that you guys ready for the beat to drop always The dulcet tones. The dulcet tones of whatever this song is. All right, guys. The church's See cover band. Yep. Peace out. Peace. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs>